Good morning. Freedom Church. First, I want to thank everybody for your support. You know who you are, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, no, um, so this morning, first of all, I'd like to, we have a new memory verse for this month, and it's going to be the first four verses of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews today, like we've been, I think, we, we could probably be in Hebrews for every week for at least a year. I mean, it's so packed full. And I would, this is a little, little side. I would encourage you guys, like, take the book of Hebrews, read it all the way through, read it out loud. Read it out loud to yourself. And, and I'm telling you, it is so packed full of what we need to know about who Christ is and what our relationship to him is and, and how he has, he has fulfilled all of the things from the foundation of the world has been established through him, our salvation, his lordship. It's just amazing. So I'd encourage you to do that. Any book, really. Uh, Hebrews was um, a little bit different than, than the apostles, or the, uh, the other epistles, not the apostles. Um, like Steve said last week and the week before, we're not sure who wrote Hebrews, but it's written different than a regular epistle. It's more written like a message given from a pulpit, like a homily like a presentation like that, you could really just take Hebrews and preach right from it and just go right along there like that. And it's, it's so packed full of good stuff. So um, our memory verse or memory verses for this month are Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And we have it in the New King James Version here. So we'll go with that. <clears throat> it says God, uh, actually, you know what? Um, I don't know if I should make people stand up again. It's so, all right, let's stand for the, the <laughs> going through the word. It's an authoritarian thing. I must be a, a Christian nationalist or something. Um, anyway, all right, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when we, he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Man, there's so much in there. It's so good. So I'd encourage you guys, memorize that. It says a lot. So, okay, you can see it. Oh, wait, let's, no. <laughs> let's, let's make everybody as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> That's right, we're going to do some calisthenics so our minds are, you know, awake. But, uh, okay, so, so I'm going to stick with um, Hebrews, and we're going to still be in, in Hebrews chapter 1, and, and kind of getting over into chapter 2, and I have a lot of verses throughout Hebrews, because it is such a, um, uh, it's so well tied together. You know, all of the, the portions of it just continue this, this kind of like singular stream of, of, of uh, understanding of who Christ is. He's building such an argument and a case. And there's a reason for that, um, why he's building a case for particular things. Like he talks about angels, he talks about Melchizedek, he talks about uh, 
Christ being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's talking about um, Moses and that Christ is greater than Moses. And, uh, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get into that a little bit. But I'm going to just go through this passage here, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll just start digging into it. Um, so we just read 1, 1 through 4, so I'm going to start with 5. For two, which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, as your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. There's a lot there. There's a lot of reference to Old Testament there, you know, and, and reference to who the Son really is in relation to the angels. Now, I want to build a case for this because I, I think this helps understanding the context of what was going on in the culture at the time. We have, um, it was very cool. We're doing this in, on Wednesday night. We're doing a study through the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night, and Steve had presented a, a great video that was so good. It was, it was um, just really looking into all of the particulars so that we could get a good understanding. But there was something that the, the guy said which was, was fascinating. And he addressed the, the culture that they found, okay, so you guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Dead Sea Scrolls, very, very important find. Um, and that, uh, I'll, just, I'll just read this here so you guys can get a sense of what the Dead Sea Scrolls were about. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls are a collection of ancient Jewish manuscripts discovered between 1946 and 1956 in, Qumran, in the Qumran Caves near the Dead Sea. The manuscripts were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek and include copies of the Hebrew Bible as well as other Jewish texts and documents. The texts are divided into three categories, biblical, apocryphal and sectarian. So we have our biblical, we have apocryphal, which is um, uh, books relating to um, the spiritual realm, but are not accepted as canon. So we have our biblical, we have books that are not accepted as canon, and then we have our sectarian writings. And the sectarian meaning the sect, the relation to the sect, the people who were there at the time, and, and laws and things like that. The, the biblical texts include fragments of every book of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther. The apocryphal books or texts include works that were not included in the Hebrew Bible, such as the book of Enoch. A lot of, we hear a lot about the book of Enoch nowadays with YouTube. And, uh, and it's a fascinating book, but it was not accepted as, as uh, canon. It wasn't accepted by the, the church as being um, uh, breathed by God. But there are some, some fascinating things in it, and we can gain some insight by uh, looking into those things. 
The sectarian texts include works that were written by the Qumran community, such as the community rule, which outlines the rules and regulations of the community. Now, this community is the Essenes, right? This was, they were a, um, they, were, they understood the Old Testament scriptures, and they were, they, they uh, were communal. They had a strict adherence to Jewish law, very strict. You know, they were ascetic, so they, they, um, they, they took adherence to like the, the uh, like they would beat themselves in the submission kind of thing. You know, it was like, ah, we have to follow it. So they would make rules very legalistic, very legalistic. Um, but they had these writings, which is very cool. One of the writings, this community rule, well, there was the community rule, the scroll of the law, and the scroll of Melchizedek were some of these writings. And, it, and it's so cool as you look into this. The Essenes, um, they emerged in the second century BC, and uh, they were all about abstention from, you know, the uh, things of the flesh kind of thing. The Essenes believed in the existence of two spirits appointed by God. They believed that there was a God, but they believed there were two angelic spirits the Essene, um, and that were appointed by God to guide man, the spirits of truth and perversity. The origin of truth lies in the fountain of light, while at that of the perversity lies in the wellspring of darkness. The community rule, a document found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, outlines the rules and regulations of the Qumran community and mentions these two, the Prince of Lights and the Angel of Darkness, also known as Belial, um, who are the sources of the good and evil. And besides that, this, this uh, scroll of the law also ref- references these same kind of things, these angelic beings. And then besides that, that the, the scroll of Melchizedek like they saw Melchizedek as some, some great being, like, like a godlike person. And so when you understand that, and, and because they held very um, uh, strictly to the law of Moses, like you could see why this writer is saying, I need to build a case because you, all your beliefs are in these things. But I want to show you something better. I want to show you who's supreme over all of these things. You know, so he's dealing with the angels, right? And it's so cool, isn't it? Isn't it great to have context? Because like we can look at this stuff and and it's not just, you know, they're just saying stuff. There's reasons for all of this. The word of God is perfect. The word of God is so true. You can trust it with everything. Ah, it's so good. Um, So I want to just talk about this relation of Christ with the angels. And it says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? Um, the, the sonship of Christ sets him above the angels. Their superiority, right? He comes before. It says that, uh, I'm in the wrong spot. Um, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That, and then it says he's supreme. Let all God's angels worship him. And so he's building this case, but I don't, I don't want to get into, I want to get into some of the, the very particular things here in relation to him being the son. And so this is a little bit of a, of a, a move away from this line of thought that he's building, but I guess it kind of, kind of fits, fits in there. So bear with me um, where it says, I'll read this again. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. 
And this idea we read in our, in our um, uh, the creed, that the eternally begotten of the Father. And that's a big subject. <laughs> but there's this idea that he was at some time, today I have begotten you. So it, what does that mean? Because if he's eternally begotten, what does it mean that today I have begotten you? Because today would be not in eternity. And it says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. He's, he's bringing, and, this is, and again in verse 6 it says, and again when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says. And so I want to build this to show that although he's eternally begotten, this statement here, this begotten, means that he was revealed. He was made manifest at a particular time. And the scripture says at just the right time. It says, when the fullness of time had come. Oh, it's so cool. Um, so I want to I build that a little bit because understanding Christ's divinity and understanding his humanity are equally as important. We need to know who he was when he was here, why he was sent, all of those things. And we, we have, we, maybe you have a very good grasp of that, but I think it's good to just go over all that it meant, all that it means to us that he came to be one of us and was fully human. We hear that, fully human and fully God. And what does that look like? You know, and I know for me, you know, um, the questions are, are asked um, to me or by me, you know, in some, some cases. Well, well th does that mean that he had special power to overcome? Does that mean that he was able, he, he wasn't tempted or tested like we are? What does that mean that he was deity and humanity? And so I want to get into that a little bit because it's good for us to understand that. So, um, so this is a difficult subject because it, it can get into the weeds a lot. It can get like really, if you start digging into it. But I want to just say, I think the best thing that I've heard is from R.C. Sproul. And he had, he had mentioned that you have Christ, right, who's always God. He's never not God. He's always the second person of the Trinity. When he came here, he didn't discard his Godhead, but he took on the nature of humanity. And in Philippians 2, 5 through 9, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, some people say a thing to be grasped is something to hold on to tightly, but it also means something to use for your advantage. So although he was God, he didn't use his godness for his advantage. He faced everything the way we would. It's a kind of a, it's an interesting thought, right? That he was one of us. Um, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we'll get into what that obedience looks like. Because like, well, if he's God, well, he can't not be obedient, right? So you got all this kind of tension going on there. But I think we'll, hopefully it'll, 
hopefully we won't muddy the waters. Hopefully we'll give a little alacrity to the, to the, uh, this subject a bit. That's my hope. So I'm going to go through a bunch of different aspects of him being human and what it means. And one of the first things that I want to bring out is that in John, right, in the beginning of John, it says the word became flesh. And now this writer of Hebrews, he's, he's bringing the writers or the readers back to show that he has always been, he's eternal. And now he has been revealed, he's been begotten. We see him. He is the fulfillment of all of the things that have been established before the foundation of the world. He is the revelation of that. It's so cool. This is in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, right? It says, spoken to us prior, it was spoken through the prophets, but in these last days, which I like that, these last days, okay, he's talking in 2,000 years ago, um, he has spoken to us by his son. Ugh. His word, who he is, the essence, it says that too, right? That he is the he is the exact imprint. He is the full brightness of his glory. He is the complete essence of his nature. And now he's showing us who he is. It's no more speaking. It's we have that, and now he's going, I'm that. I am. All that was written. You know, and he reads that in Isaiah, right? When he, everything um, that you, uh, I forget, I forget the verse, but uh, when he stands before the, the, the um, Yes, yeah, and so it's like, boom, here I am. Oh, I love it, I love it. So the word became flesh, uh, and we'll, we'll read that passage, John 1, 1 through 5, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the exact imprint, the essence of the Father. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he never got rid of his deity. He was deity forever. But he took on our nature for a lot of good reasons. Um, so there are writings, that all the prophets, all the prophets spoke of these things. Uh, um, so what was spoken by God was finally revealed, and the salvation that was established from the foundation of the world is revealed to us because of his humanity. Like, that salvation was established from the beginning. Because of his humanity, we see it. If we didn't have him to look at, it would all be like mythology. But we have him, the revelation of who God really is. Um, <clears throat> That's why we say the Old Testament leads to Christ. You know, Oh, it's all leading up to Christ. That's what it means. Um, we sing that song, Jesus is the center of it all. He really is the center of it all. You know, um, the center of our lives, the center of all of the writing, all of the scripture we have. He's the center of it all. Matthew 13, 6, 1, 16 through 17. It says, and I love this, ah, in relation to this thought, 
But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. They were looking ahead, and you see it later on in Hebrews 2 and chapter 11, when he's talking about all these people who were by faith doing this, by faith doing this. These prophets were writing these things down, longing to see and to hear this brightness and revelation of who God is. And they didn't see it, but blessed are our eyes. Blessed are, I mean, we didn't see it, but we have it. Um, blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears. You know, it's so cool. In Galatians 4, 3 through 7, it says, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of, of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's all because of his humanity, because he came and was revealed like one of us, as one of us. It's, it was necessary. His humanity is necessary to be a mediator for us. He had to become a human and suffer the things that he suffered without taking hold of his divinity to help him overcome those things so that he could know what it's like for us to go through those things and he could be a mediator for us. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. In every respect he was tempted as we are, but he did not sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find, find grace to help in time of need. So we have confidence because he suffered. We have confidence to go before his throne of grace because we have someone who is interceding and has been there, exactly. Um, he was tempted in, in every way, and I, Steve mentioned this last week with in Luke 4, talking about the temptations that Satan had brought to Jesus. And, uh, and it is interesting because if you just kind of read over that and, and don't look into it a bit, I mean, it's, it looks like he was tempted three times. But he was tempted for 40 days prior to this. You know, it's like, and after the 40 days, he was hungry and Satan came and tempted him. It was, he was tempted for 40 years. So in every way, like we see this and it doesn't compute. It doesn't like, we don't see the reality of what this is about. But in every way he was tempted, in every respect, just like we are. So it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what challenges we have, what, who we are, like we know who we are as people. We know where we failed. We know where we want to fail. We know where, where we, we, 
tend to drop the ball. We know where our minds are, our motives are, all those things. He does too. And he's not there going, I can't believe how bad these people are. He's going, I'm there. Like, I I know what that's like. Come to Christ. If you're going through a struggle, you're going through hard times, you're going through temptations, go to Christ. Just come to him. Because he is interceding for us. Eternally interceding. And we'll get into that a little bit, too. Um, So, his humanity was necessary. Now, I want to look at these temptations a little bit because it's interesting because these three temptations seem to, like, be the, the icing, maybe the icing on the cake. Probably, I'm reading into that a little bit, but this is what we see. And these temptations had everything to do with his deity. You know, oh, you're the son of God. Well, you're hungry, just make these stones. You know, it's like, and then the, the second one was like, well, listen, I'll just give you everything. Maybe you're not the deity. Maybe you're not God. Oh, you know, if you're not God, I'll just give you this. And he's like, no. Nah. It's like he, he was always challenged with that. That's a challenge, or he was challenged there. Um, <clears throat> but we can have confidence because he faced it. Um, he lived it. Hebrews 7, 23 to, through 25 says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. How cool is that? How good is that? That we have a God who cares about us that much. God showed his love to us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like that's, this is, this is amazing. It's amazing. In First Timothy, um, actually, I'm missing a part here, but <clears throat> the, in First Timothy 2, 5 through 6, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, that man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony that was given at the proper time. At the proper time, that, that was done. James 1, 13 let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Who has read that and said, well, okay, so Jesus is God. How is God being tempted if he can't be tempted? Right? Like that's a, you know, but, but hopefully this clear, clarifies that a little bit, is that he was fully human and didn't use his Godhead to help him through that. But what's really cool is, is that he didn't, he, he, he only did what he saw his father doing. He only said what his father was saying. You know, he was a faithful son, but he was fully human. If he wasn't human, he couldn't be tempted. He could not be our intercessor as our high priest. That's a pretty big deal if he didn't come be human wasn't one of us. His humanity is necessary for the new covenant. New covenant, it's, or in Hebrews 8, 6, it says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. What's this better promise? We'll go back to 
Hebrews 7. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Man, that's a better promise. That's so good. So his humanity was necessary for the new covenant because it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He had to be one of us to take that punishment upon himself and to shed his blood for us. The law made nothing perfect, but Christ has been made perfect forever. The other aspect of his humanity, and it's, uh, we, this goes back to, the, to his temptation and, and suffering, and, and even back to Philippians 2, where it says he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He, he, and because of that, he is highly exalted above every name because he always obeyed the Father. So he had two natures, right? We went through this a little bit, but he had two natures, one born of Mary, one born of the Holy Spirit. So he was born a human, but born without the Adamic nature. So he didn't, he, he had the capacity because Adam had the capacity to sin because he did. He had the capacity in his humanness to say no to God, but he never did, I think. That makes sense. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's a good way of understanding it. Again, we can get into all the little details, but he was fully human and it's important. His humanity was needed to destroy the devil Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Because he, had, he took on our humanity, he destroyed the devil and his works. So he, his humanity was necessary for that. If, it wasn't, if he wasn't human, he couldn't have died. He couldn't have partaken of flesh and blood. He could not have suffered if he wasn't human. He was crowned with glory because he suffered as one of us. Earlier in chapter 2, we're told we are his brothers, sisters, brothers in Christ. Hebrews 2.17, he was made like his brothers in every respect. He suffered when tempted. He was made perfect through suffering. 1 John 3.8, whoever makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Word became flesh, was to destroy the works of the devil. And we can get caught up, right, in seeing what's going on in the culture today, what's going on with evil people, evil things going on. And we can have this idea that there's this, this yin and yang kind of thing between God and the devil, but it's not like that. Christ was revealed to destroy these works of the devil. It's not like, like he has a problem with the battle. Like he did it. <laughs> you know, it's done. He's, it's not an issue for him. So don't be discouraged. You see that stuff. Go to Christ. Let his Holy Spirit 
sanctify you. Let his Holy Spirit make us who we're supposed to be in Christ so that when we are tempted, we can stand, so that we can represent Christ well, so we can look like the church, his bride, what we should look like. We should look like him. Um, So what's the point? What does all this mean for us? And I would say the ultimate thing that it means is our great salvation. Christ came, we know the story, became human, and he won a salvation for us that is so amazing and so incredible because it's more than just that we have an eternal, um, we have confidence of our eternal state, but we can have confidence while we're here that he is is, um, intercessing for us eternally that he's destroying the works of Satan, that he understands what we're going through. And I think that, like, if we can get a hold of that, you know, and not, instead of just looking ahead and going, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. It's like, no, 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 you're a Christian. You know? That, and we want to live like that. And so the better we understand who he is and what he came for, Uh, the better we can do that, I think. So Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In Romans 5.19, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It's Christ's obedience when he was here that makes us righteous. Romans 6.10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's all about what we're doing now. You know, he's got the stuff ahead all taken care of. And we can look ahead, but we'll like First John, when John says, we are children of, of God now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we are children of God now. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, um, we, we had gone through, but I want to touch on <clears throat> verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, because he came and was obedient. That was given to him. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. Colossians 1.15 through 20, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we have peace with God and we have all these other wonderful benefits. Um, But this great salvation, I just want to give a little bit of a story 
And I like to use this story when I'm talking to, uh, to people to try and, when I'm sharing the gospel with them, to try and help them understand what this substitutionary kind of payment looks like. And so there's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but of a tribal leader who, in a tribe, the, the, everybody's pretty, they're just family, you know? It's a small tribe, everybody's family. And somebody in this tribe is stealing from the other tribe members. And so they find out all, you know, they do their research and they find out who it is. And it ends up being the tribal leader's brother who's stealing all of these things. And so there's a law that the person, if they're ever caught like this, needs to be um, tied to a tree and, and lashed, right, and, and beaten. And, uh, and that's justice. That's what that is. That's justice. The law has to be fulfilled. It has to be satisfied. And so this tribal leader, is, he's heartbroken, and he's not sure what to do with this because he does not want to do this to his own brother. And so he figures, figures out what he's going to do. So the next day, they uh, take the brother, and he says, tie him to the tree, get him all ready to go, and then tie him up. He's all ready. He's ready to get lashed. And the chief, the tribal leader, says, hold on a minute. Tie me to that tree next to him. And he says, I'll take the punishment which will satisfy justice for him. That's what Christ did for us. And because of that, we have all of these things. It's so much more than just a place in heaven. It's so much more than that. But we have a God who cares. We have a God who knows. And it's just amazing. It's amazing. So um, if... If there's somebody in here who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't have a relationship with God, not sure, whatever, I would encourage you, know who this God is. I would encourage you afterwards, come and see one of us. See Steve, me, um, Kurt, George, and a lot of other people <laughs> in here could walk you through how you start that relationship with Christ and how you can have the freedom that you can have in him. Um, and uh, also, I'd like to invite people up who need prayer. You know, if you need prayer for your health or finances, struggles, whatever it is, let's take what we hear and let's put it into action. You know, so I'd encourage you guys to do that. Uh, worship team's going to come up and do a song. Uh, hopefully it's a Christian song this time. <laughs> but... uh Always excellent music. Well, well representing the word of God. Um, so, so yeah, so if you don't know the Lord, I would encourage you to come see us. If you, um, if you need prayer for anything, you know, we'll sing this song, we'll worship the Lord, and then just come on up. The elders will hang out, Steve will hang out, and we'll be able to uh, pray for you. All right.